Greetings, and welcome to Happy Tears! I'm Brandon. And I'm Nick. And this is Happy Tears, a podcast where two sensitive boys talk about the art and pop culture that they love so much that it often brings them to tears. Today on the podcast, we talk about Amazon Prime's new series called Undone, about a girl in her mid-twenties that gets in a car accident and gains the ability to transcend time and space, or does she? As well as the collection of short stories entitled Exhalation by acclaimed sci-fi short story author Ted Chang. This is Happy Tears. So we're here in the Dallas Public Library, and this is the first time we're recording in this environment. It's nice and cold. It is cold. The AC's blasting real hard, so I'm sure the mics are picking that up. But nonetheless, here we are. They have provided us a creative space. Very nice of them. Shout out to the Dallas Public Library. Anyway, we always start every episode with recommendations of music we're listening to, TV shows we're watching, movies we've seen lately. Brandon, you got anything fresh and new or any cool revisits that you're jumping into yeah so this week there was a uh an or an ask me anything with big thief which is a band we've talked about multiple times on the cast and i think the question was like uh some of their favorite albums of the decade and one of them that they mentioned was an album titled a hand through the cellar door by luke temple and it's really great. It's a 2016 album. Uh, the second track on there is titled The Birds of Late December. Um, I really love the production on it, and his voice sounds really nice. Nice folk song. Um, putting that song on the Spotify playlist titled Happy Tears Mixtape. Do it. You have another one, right? Another recommendation? Yeah. I do. So I've been loving this book. Uh, called Go Ahead in the Rain, Notes on a Tribe Called Quest by Hanif Abdurraqib. And uh, I've mentioned it on here before, but I want to mention it again because I think I'm almost done with it and I would definitely recommend this book. I have the previous uh, book of his as well, came in the mail a couple uh, weeks ago. But it's just one of the most fun reads I've had this year. I think he has a really great grasp on pop culture um also like our you know social climate and political climate and has a way of wrapping like these big ideas into really uh personal anecdotes and i think it's really awesome there's a personal one in here so all the the a tribe called quest is a, a hip-hop group that he loves and he's, a lot of this is talking about like that era of hip-hop at this point uh, in the book, the members have all started doing their own solo stuff. And this is one of them. His name's uh, Ali Shahid Muhammad. And uh, he writes these letters throughout the book. And so this is one of them to him. So I'm just going to read a little excerpt from it. It's just yeah. a little nice personal thing. Love it. It's a, a personal story about uh, when the author was younger and at a dance, dancing to a song called Dance Tonight. So here it is. It was the song Dance Tonight, and I recall this because I've never heard it again as I did in that moment. And Ali, I was an awkward and nervous kid, and I maybe could not dance as well as I thought I could dance. But who can? And it was the end of the 1990s, and I had never kissed a girl that I actually liked. And when I say fluorescent lights, 
What I really mean is that someone turned out all the lights in the auditorium and dragged in a couple of stage lights from the spring production of Romeo and Juliet. And our drama teacher was really mad about it. But by the time he found out, the song was already being played on repeat for its third time. And there are some parties that you just don't want to stop, even if they are being built on the back of the things you consider sacred. I kissed someone I liked during the fourth time I heard the first verse, and she liked me back. Or at least she liked me back in that moment. I'm saying that you built a world for me then, like you always did. What I have always loved about you, Ali, is that you were a builder of soft spaces for anyone who needed them. What you never got enough credit for was the way you made even silence a commodity. I kissed someone I liked during the first verse of Dance Tonight, which I was hearing for the fourth time in a row, and I retreated to a classroom that afternoon, baptized in sweat and whatever a teenager imagines as love, and I let the song rattle around in my head for hours, tied to the end of countless possibilities. And you maybe don't need to know that the girl I kissed transferred schools shortly thereafter, and we never saw each other again. And maybe the kiss was both of us having the idea of taking a big risk before the world as we knew it changed. It's nice. It's beautiful. It's just it just seems like a super pure expression of like appreciation. Yeah, and a specific moment that I think he kind of paints beautifully from you know a time in childhood. Anyways, I gotta read it. All right, let's move on to the super brief news brief. So what you got for me, Nick? So there have been some castings in the upcoming Matt Reeves. Batman film titled The Batman starring Robert Pattinson. Yeah. Most recently, just a couple days ago, uh, Paul Dano was cast as the Riddler, as well as Zoe Mm. Kravitz a couple days before that was cast as Catwoman, which I think is an excellent choice. Agreed. And I think um, a couple days before that, they announced Jonah Hill was in talks. I don't know if that was a thing or not, but Uh they were talking to Jonah Hill about an undisclosed role. I don't know if that materialized into anything real but so the batman is uh putting together a cast love that a good cast at that so you know a a guy named frank ocean (laughs) oh do i he just recently dropped a single titled dhl on apple music and on the cover art for the single uh there's some character poses down at the bottom right there's 13 of them, and the fourth one is highlighted, and it's the, it's the same pose as the photograph on the cover. Okay. So people have been speculating that this is the fourth song in an upcoming album with 13 tracks. Oh. Because it, it, it looks like that at the bottom. That's cool. So um, unless we're getting 13 singles, I think they might be onto something. <laughs> Which, yeah. uh, if, if a Frank Ocean, Ocean album is imminent, then I am uh, a happy boy. For sure. I mean, Blonde may be the best album of the decade. It might be. According to Pitchfork, it is. So, <laughs> And a lot of other people. Sure, sure, for sure. What's next? The television streaming platform arms race is in full effect right now, right? Netflix mm-hmm. and Hulu and Amazon have been going at it for a long time in terms of trying to get as much content as possible. Right. Uh, we all know Disney is jumping into the mix very soon. Within the next couple of weeks, yeah. Disney Plus will be out. HBO Max is another one of these streaming platforms. HBO is getting into this. And they just acquired the entire library of Studio Ghibli films. Mm, Some great ones there. Japanese animation. Personal favorite would be Spirited Away for me. There's some some Happy Tears moments through a lot of those films. So I feel like we could have one episode where we just talk about those. I would love that. That would be great. So that's going to include 21 Studio Ghibli films 
including Castle in the Sky, The Cat Returns, From Up on Poppy Hill, Howl's Moving Castle, My Neighbor Totoro. There's a bunch of them. And uh, HBO Max looks to be launching in the fall of 2020. So that's when we can check those out. And this is the first time any of those films have been available for streaming. They have, to this point, not agreed to do that anywhere. So it's kind of a big deal if you're into that sort of thing. If you should be. (laughs) (laughs) One more news item. This was recently uh, posted, and this is actually sad news for me. So, yeah, it's uh, one of my favorite bands, Me Without You, who I've mentioned on the podcast before. Yeah. Just posted on Instagram, to whom it may concern, we have decided on next year as our last as an active band. We nevertheless have many plans in the interim, the details of which are forthcoming. Thank you, Me Without You. So, looks like they're breaking up. That's a bummer, man. I know. I did see them this year, so that's good. And I've seen them plenty of times, and they're always always fun to see. But are they? It's always sad when I... Have you heard that song, uh, May All Your... Oh, man, is that the name of the song? It's a Dawes song, but the sentiment is, May, may All Your Favorite Bands Stay Together. No, I haven't heard that. It's a, it's a really nice thing to say to someone, but... Damn, that is nice. <laughs> But uh, I think that's the name of the favorite bands or something like that is the name of the track. I'll even toss that one on the playlist. I was about to say, you should. (laughs) Excellent. More songs for the playlist, especially since I brought nothing to the table this week. (laughs) Well, that's a bummer about the the band. But um, I've got my fair share of of them. Yeah. Uh, All right. Moving on. Moving on. Last week, we asked our listeners to write in with their... Happy tears that they've had at a music festival. I briefly mentioned my happy tears around David Ramirez and a friend's dreams somewhat coming true. And you talked about Stevie Wonder with Gina. Yep. But now for the first time, we have a friend and listener in studio with us that can give us his story, Connor Key. What's up, guys? (laughs) Hey, man. Um, So lay it on us. Have you had happy tears at a music festival? I have. Uh, one time I had to put eye drops in because I was super stoned at the Gambino set in 2014. <laughs> Does that count as happy tears? <laughs> I'll allow I think it. we'll accept it. <laughs> um, I, I mean, believe I was standing right next to you for that. Yeah, you saw them. It was uh, a really awesome show. It was. One of my favorites of all time. Uh, some other submissions from our Instagram. Our friend Matt Williams said he got a little too high. <laughs> I'm seeing a pattern here. <laughs> and he had happy tears when his friend from high school, Marin Morris, played at ACL, who we saw last night at Matt's, his like, uh, what was it? Just a elopement party. Yeah, they, they got married. For tax purposes only. <laughs> Another friend said Coldplay at ACL. Lots of ACLs, huh? That was our friend Lauren. And then Natalie gave us three. Natalie is like. On top of it. Natalie's always like the number one. Connor and Natalie compete for like I'm in the studio right now. (laughs) (laughs) True. I wiggled my way in here. (laughs) I signed a waiver and everything. That's actually true. Natalie, who was also with us for that Gambino performance in 2014. Also high. Also high. (laughs) I was the only non-high person there because I'm scared of drugs. Uh, She mentioned that one. She also said, I discovered Barcelona new solo i don't know what does that mean syml is a 
Barcelona, I think, was the band he was in, but now he's on a solo act, SYML. He has a song called Girl. Oh, okay. It's a, it's a beautiful song. All right, so Natalie submitted that, and then Trevor Hall at Summer Meltdown. Also got some solid feedback on our uh, post about Stank Face, so we appreciate all of you. We did get a lot of feedback about Stank Face. So we thought about making a Stank Face playlist. Oh, we did talk about that. We might do it. Yeah. Connor, you're going to stick around for the outro. Thanks, Connor. <laughs> I'm seeing my dead father because of my big brain ventricles, and he's training me to travel in time so I can save him from being murdered. Uh... The first item of discussion today is Amazon Prime's new series. I think that's unknown. Maybe a mini-series, maybe a series. Actually, it's undone, Brandon. You're so right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the um, series or mini-series on Amazon Prime entitled Undone, starring Rosa Salazar and Bob Odenkirk. Tell me a little bit about this thing. So here's the premise from the Undone Reddit page. It says, Undone explores the elastic nature of reality through its central character, Alma, a 28-year-old living in San Antonio, Texas. After getting into a car accident and nearly dying, Alma finds she has a new relationship to time. She develops this new ability in order to find out the truth about her father's death. Uh, did you know much about this before going in? Very little. I think I may have seen a trailer, but even that, it was more like images and glimpses of the art style. This is an animated right. show that has a very specific art style that was crafted using a technique called rotoscoping. Yeah where they actually film actors and then basically just paint over them, and the result almost looks kind of like an oil painting. Kind of like a moving oil painting or something. Yeah, like. exactly. And so I had seen some images of it. I don't even think I'd read a description like what you just read, so I didn't really have any yeah. idea of what it was about or what I was in for. Yeah, so I was going in with a pretty blank slate. I think I watched a trailer. It just seemed like a, a trippy series that played with the idea of time travel. That's kind of all I knew and centered around this this character of Alma after she got in this car accident. So Yeah. Now having watched it, yep. uh, broad thoughts, feelings? Yeah. So first of all, these are like 23-minute, 22-minute episodes. Uh, it's a quick watch. There's eight of them. Very bingeable. At first going into this, I was wondering kind of why it was shot this way. I thought it looked really cool. The first episode went by and I was like, I'm wondering why, you know, is there a reason to this beyond it looking cool because I want to like, why couldn't this be filmed? In, that was know? my only note on episode one was the acting is good, but the animation style is disorienting and it's not clear why they chose it. Like right. I didn't get it. And then in episode two, you understand why. And it's <laughs> my very next note. Oh, that's why it's animated with that's underlined a bunch. Yeah. It gets really trippy and cerebral and yeah it's actually a perfect animation style for this because it all feels very dreamy the main character here is in a coma after the, her car accident and comes back with this new ability that you don't know if it's um brain damage and she's just seeing these visions or what the deal is and it right. kind of remains that way for a while but yeah I, I really i i liked it quite a bit i thought the writing and acting and everything was great and i really liked the main character although she's not super likable as a person all the time by the people around her and things like that but I think she's written really well and i loved how she played that and i think her as an actor is very charming and they give the character these certain moments that really redeem her in a lot of a lot of moments yeah 
Uh, I was rewatching the pilot today, and yeah, she can be kind of abrasive towards people, and, yeah. and clearly very selfish, kind of right off the bat. Mm-hmm. But also, um, pretty thoughtful in terms of like, there's a scene early on when, she, so she works at a daycare, yeah, and uh, there's a kid that's like acting up, and mm-hmm. and she has this really nice moment where she connects with this kid and uh, gets her to calm down, and uh, they have kind of a cute little sweet moment i thought that was just a good way to show a more redeemable side of that character it just shows that she cares about people despite having maybe kind of a hard exterior or or yeah she comes off a bit apathetic at times and she specifically in those moments at the daycare like even if she starts off that way in the scene there's something that happens that connects her with a kid and she is able to connect with them in a very same level kind of way and not like teaching or talking down to or anything like that. Just like finding them kind of where they're at. And it's a really, those are really special moments. I think it's also worth mentioning that this style was used uh, by someone we've talked about before on this podcast, right? We have Richard Linklater. Ah, (laughs) of course. Yes. And A Scanner Darkly and Waking Life, um, but like 10 years ago. And the director of this series, who basically directed pretty much everything, was a guy named Hisko Holsing. I believe he is Norwegian. He's definitely not American. This art style is pretty much his making. He has directed several animated works, um, some short films and things like that. I watched a short film on his website this morning that was pretty gnarly and dark and kind of cool called Junkyard. But I think the art style is a really great way of capturing the... Uh, Headspace, maybe? Or... Yeah, like, like this... Um, idea of this is kind of real life but it's not true live action and it's not i mean it is true animation i guess but Mm -hmm. you know what i mean it's it's a little more lifelike than normal 2d animation but it does kind of give this dreamlike you use the word cerebral to describe it i think that's perfect you know and uh the just the art style really lends itself to the subject matter and the themes of the story right i really liked the small details of the animation they actually animated in like dust particles floating did you see that yeah i thought that was just really cool i mean it it just added kind of a third dimension to this kind of 2d animated world or i guess 3d i don't know if it's 3d animation i don't really understand how animation works (laughs) i guess it's 3d i think that also kind of gives you this like the same feels like stars would give you i think that dust was also put in for like a dreamlike effect yeah I thought it was a nice touch and one of the small details that you don't necessarily think about when you say, how would I animate a TV show? Yeah. You know, I mentioned it was disorienting in the first episode and I think I stand by that, but I think you just get used to it. And it really, when, when it dives into this plot of her gaining these abilities and she starts to see and speak with her father's ghost or something you know right. I, you don't really under, understand what form of the astral whatever he is <laughs> yeah once that happens it does get kind of trippy and cool where she'll be having a conversation with one person and then all of a sudden her entire surroundings get torn away and now she's in another room and she's actually having a conversation with someone else her relationship to time is wildly it's like out of control yeah and the animation style really captured that in a cool way Oh, yeah. That that live action, I don't think, would have been able to do. Oh, no. One of the sequences 
in the series that was pretty trippy and just really showed how the art style was a perfect fit for the show. It's in episode two or three, like she's she's still recovering from the car wreck and, and learning about her new situation with her dad and just all these things are coming at her and she ends up running down this hallway in the hospital and as she does, like her surroundings are like flying in and out and away from her, there's whooshing in and then they're ripping away. It's just this kind of crazy sequence. And then she runs past this elevator and there's like another her in the elevator that's like pushing buttons and she like stops and talks to. And then it's just this crazy, I, I'm not describing this very well, but it's just no, this it's like kind of crazy trip. sequence. It is. Yeah, it's trippy. And um, it was definitely something that you couldn't do as effectively in live action scenario and it was really cool and there was a video on i think it's amazon prime's like youtube channel that showed a little bit of the behind the scenes and how they did all of the animation and like how they filmed the actors wow and then animated over it yeah I'll, i'll send it to you i'll put it in the show notes and they specifically highlighted for only a couple seconds this that particular scene yeah just those sequences of things kind of like you said, like tearing away and forming into a, a new scene uh, or I think just super in, impressive. And then, so what she's trying to do is find a way to kind of control this um, power or whatever that she has. And you come to learn that schizophrenia is played a big role in her family and has been passed down. The question emerges of whether this, what she's dealing with is a result of that or her car crash or these theories that her dad who has passed away um, was working on and is now teaching her. Yeah. Is (laughs) now teaching her past, you know, there's this mystery of how her father died 20 years ago. And she's trying to find that out as she's trying to control her and these new skills as well as navigate her interpersonal relationships. Yeah, for sure. And which I think are really great throughout the movie as well. Like particularly with her sister, her mom playing this figure who really cares about her, but kind of hovers and wants her to do everything the way she wants, you know, and all those relationships were really great. Yeah. And so it is a pretty compelling story when she's juggling all of these different aspects, right? Well, yeah. And I think it's just handled in a way, like there's a lot between the time jumping and those relationships. Everything I think is just handled really well in a way that makes sense even if it doesn't make sense right now <laughs> right yeah absolutely it's pretty especially in the from episodes like two to four and five pretty disorienting right because we are experiencing all of this through her right and she's just flying kind of through time uncontrollably and so we're having to try to pick up on what the hell is happening just based on on these random tidbits these mini scenes between her and her sister, and then all of a sudden she's talking to her dad, and then all of a sudden she's in another room. Yeah, just another another thing here that is worth mentioning is that the writer of the show was a writer of BoJack Horseman. Correct. Another animated show with, I think, very good writing. So if you like that show and the writing on that show, I think you'll enjoy this as well. And this show is pretty funny. I really enjoyed the interplay specifically between Alma and her father, especially because they're like, they're so personal, like they know each other, even though he's been dead for 20 years. It's just this kind of interesting relationship. Everything being fueled by Rosa Salazar's Alma, who's our main character, and her, I think she's just a terribly funny 
actor. I think her timing and her delivery on stuff is really great. Yeah, it's and amazing. obviously Bob Odenkirk is like kind of a legend now. <laughs> right. At that sort of thing, like his delivery is amazing. Of course. Like there was, <laughs> there's a very specific thing that made me laugh in episode three where he's trying to teach his daughter about all these theoretical physics principles and stuff. And he says, calling theoretical physics science is kind of like calling John Lennon a singer. And she goes, well, he did sing. And his face, I wish I could describe in <laughs> words the way his face was just like, ah, oh, you don't understand was so funny and and it's just great writing paired with really really funny delivery because that's just a physical thing that they shot and then animated over but it was so perfect and i do like in the writing of the show how grounded it was in the personal relationships while also giving you enough kind of theoretical physics to like feel like you understand what's going on and also keeping the jokes coming not maybe not jokes keeping just humorous situations and banter going from time to time also her being deaf also and oh uh, right and then having the hearing elements another like kind of wild sensation that they play with throughout the show yeah so i think she was born deaf and now has a cochlear imp- implant cochlear cochlear i think she became Deaf after pneumonia as a child. Oh, yeah, that's what it was. So now she has this implant with a hearing aid that Mm -hmm. allows her to hear. So there's like some parts where they're disorienting once that comes out. Right. And she definitely uses that in her life, I think, as a device to isolate herself. Exactly. Which is a huge part of this story overall because as the series progresses, she keeps finding excuses to distance herself from the relationships in her life. Some of that is exacerbated by her father basically saying, you need to focus on solving this mystery and learning these powers and and mastering these powers in order to solve my murder. And the question becomes, as it goes on, is are these hallucinations of hers? Is this a real phenomenon? And this is just like a supernatural story? Yeah. Or is this all an excuse for her to distance herself, isolate herself, and maybe avoid some of the negative aspects of the relationships in her life. And that was one thing just I, I found myself questioning is, obviously you're questioning if all this is real as you're going, but, you know, is, is she just trying to, like, avoid her family, you know, at, at all costs? Like, what is, what's going on? And then the further you get down the rabbit hole, that's when they start adding more details about her family history of schizophrenia. And it just adds another question mark to what is going on? Depictions of, of childhood, I think, are done really well in the show. And I, I feel like they add so much to her character as well as the show just gives you a great depiction on what each character's role is in Alma's life kind of growing up. And, and now, like, you know, just the exact role that her boyfriend plays, that her dad plays, and then, you know, her sister and her mom. I think you're just wondering throughout the show how these relationships will either be restored or if she's able to come to terms with the idea of having like connection at all with anyone or. Right. Yeah. The series definitely just plays with kind of the notion of reality and, um, and it's a pretty fun ride and kind of a cool mystery. There's a lot of mysterious elements in the literal mystery of who killed her father. Mm -hmm. What is happening with her mental state of mind and these powers and there's also some elements of trauma and depression 
another mental illness or, or you know, condition conditions. Yeah. At one point in one of the characters' past, there's a suicide attempt. And there's also a, there was a line in episode, I think it was, I wrote four slash five, so I, don't, I guess I forgot. One of them. She's talking to her dad about happiness, and the further you get in this, the more her dad is, is pushing for her to focus and isolate herself, because if she can go back and fix the past, none of this that's happening in her life right now matters. And she said something about wanting to be happy, and the dad responds, happiness can be an escape, which I thought was an interesting statement. I don't know if it's true or just the musings of a dead ghost man <laughs> slash hallucination of a schizophrenic leaning person <laughs> or an essential oh. truth to life. <laughs> uh, it was there either way. Yeah. So I don't know, just, just the fact that while it's funny and kind of engaging on a mysterious level, there's some darkness to the story and the themes and the things that are being explored. I think handled nicely and... It's not darkness like in last week's Joker or anything. Right. Or at least not in the same intensity. Do you want to just go right into Happy Tears? I think you kind of touched on one of them and it was just that moment. And it might have been actually a couple moments in the in the daycare. But I just thought those interactions with some of the kids are really special, especially once you get to know her character some more. Just seeing her ability to connect in that way when she's not really able to. Because it doesn't always seem like they affect her too much, but you see how she affects them, and I think that's just essential for her character. And then there's a couple moments of her dancing, I think, that I've got pretty emotional with, and one was like a series of dances, and they end up being kind of an important plot point towards the end, and then there's one when it's a flashback when she's younger and, oh, and deaf. Absolutely. <laughs> I cried like and, a baby. Uh, yeah, kind of her hearing aid comes out, and you just hear these percussive noises, but you see her interacting with... Um, the other kids at the deaf school and it was just super powerful i thought yeah there's this moment where she this is before she has the implant and so she can't really hear it's just muffled noises it's the first time she i think feels like part of any kind of real group because she goes into this it's it's basically like daycare mm -hmm. aged kids and they're all in this like kind of drum circle right. and she starts dancing in the middle like it's the first time you see that little girl show any joy and it's just the purest expression of of happiness it was very powerful yeah and i thought it was interesting how they brought that sort of like percussive drum circle element back later on in her life and so i just thought that was really cool too yeah and similarly when they showed her boyfriend sam's flashbacks yeah. of his younger self being an immigrant and you know coming to this country and getting picked on at school there's a particular sequence where he is playing back these tapes of someone speaking with an American accent in order to get rid of his Indian accent, which was pretty heartbreaking mm -hmm. because he just wants to be accepted. And so he's fundamentally changing the way that he speaks. Right. You know, watching a kid rewinding and playing back this, this tape and repeating it over and over again was very sad. Yeah, it was that, that process or practice that made you... And I'm pretty sure th those two sequences are basically woven together. His... Younger self and Alma's younger self. Yeah, that whole sequence was powerful. And then there's one other... Uh, I had a visceral reaction to that. It's a very quick shot that, that lets you know that one of the characters had a suicide attempt. Mm -hmm. 
first of all, blood freaks me out. <laughs> but also, as someone that has had suicidal thoughts and stuff in the past, like the second you see somebody laying and kind of like bleeding out and mm-hmm. her mom like runs into the bed, you, you see it, it's there and gone, but immediate happy tears just because those things are scary to see and especially when you realize that you've been in that headspace it's it's powerful yeah so not so happy but not so happy but you know i look at anything <laughs> that's brought on by art as of course you look maybe yeah. for those tuning in for the first time right <laughs> yeah that's probably worth saying <laughs> the whole show is very especially in the time sequences just a very visceral show and brings about these emotions very vividly and and the way it does it is i think super creative and I had fun watching it. I found the final exchange between the two sisters really nice. Agreed. This uh, show might have a season two. No, we don't know. Yeah, the ending is open-ended. Right. It's interesting. I'm not sure. I I don't know if there's more to say. Right, exactly. But uh, I did really enjoy spending time with these characters. And since it was only, I mean, I I think it's only like three, a little over three hours total. Yeah, which is nice. they're not super long episodes and there's only eight of them. So I really enjoyed this. I mean, this and Exhalation, which we'll talk about shortly, both to me had a little bit of kind of a Twilight Zone feel. Mm-hmm. Like this is, you know, it's just kind of a random sci-fi story. Obviously, this isn't like an anthology series or anything, but yeah. it is like something that could inhabit like a Twilight Zone even kind of a Black Mirror, although Black Mirror is much darker than this in terms of its social commentary and stuff like that. It felt like approachable sci-fi. It wasn't too heady, although it was cerebral at times, yeah. but like the, the characters really ground the story. For sure. I totally agree with you there. No, I like these shorter um, series that are coming out on streaming services. And when they're done well, it's exciting and bingeable and easy to digest and you don't have to you know spend 20 hours with it and if there isn't a season two and this is it i'm pretty satisfied yeah i think you know the the ending in that case definitely is kind of a every viewer decides for themselves what it means kind of thing yeah and it sparks conversation everyone's gonna have a different opinion on it i think Mm -hmm. and uh it was funny funny at times funny on Funyun. I think it was a Funyun. How long has it been since you've had a Funyun? I don't know that I've ever eaten more than one Funyun because I think they're gross. How about you? <laughs> I don't know if I've seen a Funyun bag <laughs> in ages. They still exist, right? Do Funyuns still exist? Well, listeners, <laughs> this goes out to you. Our question this week is, do Funyuns still exist? <laughs> and if they do, when is the last time you've had one? <laughs> I don't know if I want to keep that, but I kind of like it. <laughs> <laughs> the real hard-hitting questions here on Happy Tears. Getting real to the heart and soul of, of what's important. What was I saying? What is this? What are we doing here? I think it was funny at times. I think it was poignant at times. I think it was exciting at times. And I really enjoyed watching this series. Another element of the whole show is that it's mainly like a Latinx family. This series is pretty rare in both style, but also having mostly Latinx leads, and it addresses mental health issues. There's a lot of things about this that are pretty unique in the world of television programming. Mm-hmm. I do think that there are not a lot of shows out there like this. I-, I feel like 10 years ago, this show could never exist. You know, like before the like Netflix and streaming boom of, of everyone trying to grab up as much content as they can, I think 
a more risk-averse world where networks don't want to shell out a bunch of money to animate this kind of weird little sci-fi story about mental health and time travel wouldn't happen. And so I think it is kind of cool in the age that we live in now that we do get this interesting, kind of beautiful and touching story that also talks about some important real-world things that have stigma like schizophrenia and mental illness. So props to Amazon and props to the writers for just making a unique show. Yeah, exploring all those things. It's great. It's on Amazon Prime streaming now. Go check it out. Am I losing my mind, Dad? No, no. Uh, well, yes and, and no. So the next thing we're talking about is the short story collection, Exhalation. This is by Ted Chang, and the description on the book jacket reads thusly. From the acclaimed author of Stories of Your Life and Others, the basis for the Academy Award-nominated film Arrival, comes a groundbreaking new collection of short fiction. Nine stunningly original, provocative, and poignant stories. These are tales that tackle some of humanity's oldest questions, along with new quandaries only Ted Chang could imagine. In The Merchant and the Alchemist's Gate, the first story, a portal through time forces a fabric seller in ancient Baghdad to grapple with past mistakes and second chances. In Exhalation, the second story, an alien scientist makes a shocking discovery with ramifications that are literally universal. And those are the two that we'll be talking about today. Exhalation is Ted Chang at his best. Profound, sympathetic, revelatory. So yeah, we really have just kind of started this book, but we did want to discuss it because I think it connects with the series Undone thematically yep. in a lot of ways, the sci-fi of it all. I've liked what I've read so far. Maybe we'll revisit later once we finish this, and if we feel like there's more to say, maybe we'll we'll talk about it, but uh, yeah. definitely wanted to mention it today. Yeah, and so I had seen this previous book before. I've never read anything by Ted Chang, but I have seen Arrival and I like that. And so I was intrigued by the mind that wrote that. Um, and that was just one of, I think, eight stories in his last collection, I believe. So so is that his main bag? Short stories, pretty much? Yeah. And I think he, he takes quite a while to write them. I think it shows. I mean, he puts one out. I think the last one came out 13 years ago. Oh, wow. And this is nine stories in that amount of time. I'll admit that most of what intrigued me about <laughs> this collection was that it appeared on Barack Obama's summer reading list, Love Me Some Obama. So <laughs> Yeah, I had it on our list, and then uh, you said nothing. And then you were stoked. <laughs> I said, what? Barry likes it? <laughs> Count me in. Yeah, I, I kind of love this sort of um, sci-fi style. I, I don't read a ton of it, but I thought this was a, a nice way, kind of like digestible stories. So the uh, first story in this collection is titled The Merchant and the Alchemist Gate, and I really, really like this story. I'm right there with you, Nick. This is kind of a Arabian Nights style tale of magic and whimsy. This story kind of gave me like an Aladdin vibe. Yeah. Like, it definitely set in the Middle East, not in modern times. You're presented with this uh, ring, essentially, here, but kind of like the genie would present the three wishes sort of thing. Right. It's this fantastic tale. They even mention a genie in the dialogue. And yeah, so it's this story of time travel, 
where a merchant meets this shop owner who who turns out to be this alchemist that has developed this means of time travel. You yeah. can go in and out of this ring and essentially go 20 years in the future. If you go through the other side, you can go to the past. And this shop owner recounts three tales to the merchant. Yeah, like parables, essentially. Right. Explaining what the power of this ring is and how it has affected three specific individuals in their lives, which leads to our main character, the merchant, to go on his own journey through time. Right. I think all three of the stories were pretty captivating and spoke to different desires of the human experience and definitely one thing that can be said about both of the stories that we've read so far is how deeply human they are when you talk about these people that are traveling time to either get something or achieve or right, or learn, learn something about themselves exactly or... and this fascination that we as humans have with both the past and the future and how we can either affect it or view it through a different lens yeah well we always like i mean there's obviously time travel is a huge component of a lot of sci-fi and we have this fascination with being able to maybe change uh, the future or change our lives in some way now if we went to the past. It was a really interesting take on either the consequences of that or just kind of why we have those uh, either fantasies or, or those thoughts in the first place. And I think Ted Chang is really interested in exploring that, but also kind of like free will. And, and we'll talk a little bit more about that in the, in the second short story here. But I think it's kind of those types of big themes are sprinkled throughout what I assume is like most of these short stories here. Yeah, the author wrote in the like story notes about this particular story that he was fascinated with the idea of a time travel story that A, didn't use like a car or machine, like a time travel device. Right. And also one in which you can't affect the future of the past, which is a big part of the story, right? Like right. everything in time is fixed. You can just go there and view it or interact with it, but nothing's going to change your fate or your past. Right. Yeah, I thought that was a really interesting concept and the idea of just being able to, uh, you know, glean from the past and enhance your current state just from kind of meditating on your own actions and stuff I thought was really interesting. I'm just having this thought now, but one of the things I mentioned when we talked about Ad Astra, one of my notes from that movie was an isolated man obsesses about his own mistakes. Yeah. I think that there are seeds of that here. Like at least one of these stories of people traveling through time is to try to fix mistakes, even though he knows that he can't affect the timeline. Yeah. But it is a very human thing to obsess over the past, especially if you have had tragedy or something terrible happen. I definitely don't want to spoil any of the specific plot points of the story, but there is a a very quick turn of phrase that I really liked in his writing mm-hmm. that I figured I'd call out because I just really liked it. Um, and it's in the middle of one of the parables where uh, a man goes to the future to see how he has built his fortune because that's what he expects his future to hold and he gets there and finds something other than what he expected and he's very disappointed and he walks up to his home after his older self has left and here's the way that chang wrote it 
Driven by the curiosity that impels men to look at the heads of the executed, Ajib went to the door of his house. I just thought that that phrase, as someone who's not a prose writer, <laughs> that's really good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, someone like me who looks at words very utilitarian and I don't use a ton of flowery language, not that this is flowery, but as someone who would probably have just said, driven by morbid curiosity, mm -hmm. insert whatever here. Right. The curiosity that impels men to look at the heads of the executed was just like, I heard that. I was like, damn. <laughs> yeah, I think what I think is so special about the writing, though, is that there's that in the like just the right moments. And there's there's still a utilitarian aspect to it and a very directness to his writing style. But then there's that poetic element there, too. It's like this little tool he's got in his back pocket, and he pulls it out just at the right moment. Yeah, and it just it just seems that he's crafted each one of these sentences over over time. I mean, these all feel extremely well-constructed. And what I love about the, I think, the short stories is you can pull these big, grand ideas, which I think he has for, like, all of these stories, and pull them into something pretty relatable and much smaller, but still explore it with the same effectiveness as some of these longer form things, right? Right. I think like uh, a funnier thing, but Rick and Morty, I think does that really well and totally different genre, obviously, but like these just huge questions into a 20 minute episode where I'm like, how did they, how did they do that? Right. And yeah, you look at things like Black Mirror, I think does a, a good job at that. But I as I really love that you're able to kind of go from story to story, hop thematically hop into something quite different, uh, but still you're you're able to finish it and kind of think about that story for a while. And feel satisfied with it. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, it's it's almost like reminds me of like fine cuisine, like fine dining. It's not known for its Large portions, perhaps, <laughs> but what you do get is... Yeah, like excellent craftsmanship or whatever exactly. artistry in there, too. <laughs> so as and you're savoring those, those bites. <laughs> this is a maybe tapas. <laughs> <laughs> but small plates, small stories. So, listeners, write in with your favorite book and what food it would be. <laughs> I like that. I think we should do the other one, but... <laughs> That could be fun. Well, yeah. Do you ever feel like you have this, I don't know, same sort of curiosity that the main character has in this, yeah, in this tale? For sure. Yeah. In terms of like wanting to know my future. Obviously, the main character, his final story is he travels to his past, mm -hmm. which sure, yeah, I'll, I'll change a bunch of stuff in my past <laughs> if I could. Although, according to the premise of this yeah, story, here. you can't really change it. So I don't know if I want to go witness any of that shit. Well, what I find interesting too is what I think I was thinking about during this is like our ability to kind of do this through memory and if we choose to. Right. And our ability to, yeah, just meditate on our past circumstances or feelings or whatever. And that has the ability to change our future, which I think is, I don't know, I think that's pretty cool. I totally agree. And also how the past changes is our perception of it changes, right? So like- Especially when I think about maybe like old girlfriends or things like that, like past relationships in the immediate months after one of those has ended, you have a certain perspective on it that over time, as you mature and you get further away from it, you often, at least I often find that looking back, I was really wrong about a lot of stuff, <laughs> you know, like you just, the nature of memory is fluid, 
I think, or as the person is in the present, you're always interpreting your memory. So in that way, perception is reality, right? So any way that you interpret or bring your current mindset to your your memories uh, changes, and I think right. that's that's really interesting. There's another moment of a really interesting idea in this story that I don't really know what it means, but I like it, and it is making me think a lot, so I'm going to put it to you. The main character is, I guess, kind of awestruck by a particular coincidence, and the alchemist merchant that he's talking to replies with this. Basharat smiled. Coincidence and intention are two sides of a tapestry, my lord. You may find one more agreeable to look at, but you cannot say one is true and the other is false. Yeah, I have an underlined here as well, so... I must have agreed with you. <laughs> <laughs> Coincidence and intention. So it almost makes me think of what's that quote about luck? It's like it's like ten ninety percent pleasure, twenty percent pain. Five <laughs> percent pleasure, twenty percent pain, fifty percent concentrated power and something. <laughs> oh, here we go. Luck is what happens when preparation meets opportunity. Yes. I guess it's an interesting idea about fate, right? Like, how much is coincidence? How much is intention? Are they really different? Is there any difference? Yeah, well, yeah there's no way for us to differentiate them, I think. is the Right. Here's a question I'll pose to you. This is a personal question. Yeah. Where are you at in terms of destiny? Do you believe in fate? Do you believe that people have a destiny? Do you think that your future is predetermined? Big questions here on Happy Tears. <laughs> Man, it gets so um, it gets so muddy when I I have a hard time thinking either way. I think or setting my uh, full self in either. Really buying in either way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think the big thing is either way. I look at it; it doesn't really change. There's no <laughs> way to know, right? Like no matter what happens to you. And I think we'll get yeah. more into like this determinism. The second story here, we're covering i mean kind of talks about this too but like either way we're all kind of destined for the same fate so it's he explores these ideas like he just makes me think quite a bit about them but either way what is our place in the universe like, yeah what well what is our place in either one of those situations and does it does it change at all based on which one is is right i guess that's what chang is saying with with this line is whether you got to this point by coincidence or whether you intended to do it you're here yeah <laughs> right like no matter what happens next who's to say whether it was destined or not right because you're just going to be there like so <laughs> yeah <laughs> um, no yeah that's kind of how that's how i i think i took it speaking of the next story we talked about memory here mm -hmm. the next story has a ton to do with with memory mm -hmm. should we just jump in to that one or is there anything specific yeah you no, let's, to... let's let's hop into story number two called exhalation and this is another um epistolary story i believe you're right we keep on running into these they're finding us is it destiny or is it coincidence <laughs> so i will admit that i have only listened to this story on audiobook mostly while driving so uh, although i've so you took a bunch of notes yeah. <laughs> yes. It was very dangerous at 1 a.m. on the drive from Austin to Dallas. Um, so I, I have 
completed the story, but I did find it slightly hard to follow in the audiobook version. I did rewind it a bunch of times to make sure that I mostly got it, but I might lean on you a little bit for some of this analysis. Yeah, I kind of did the same thing and reread certain parts of it because it is it's a little tough to understand on audiobook. I don't think everything translates perfectly to the audiobook format, although I love it and I think it can enhance a story. I think here, um, a lot of the descriptions of how, like, the mechanics of these automatons that are in the story work is hard to follow, I think, through audiobook a little bit. Got it. And, I mean, at least that was my experience where I kind of trailed off a bit. Well, so basically, this is a story told in the first person from a... um from a being that I can only describe as a robot. Is that fair? Yeah. Okay. What's interesting is... A, like a sentient robot. A sen- yeah, right. And and a lot of the language that is used is very human language. Right. He calls... He talks about his hands and his head and his brain mm-hmm. as opposed to, you know, his processor and his computer and, and things like that. And so, as I understand it, this particular sentient being is part of a society of sentient beings that are pretty human. They socialize. They insert lungs into themselves for air. Right. And essentially, I understood that to be their batteries, right? Like, that's how they continue to exist. It's right. like the, the air in their lungs are just batteries that run out, and so they have to replace air daily or whatever, right? Right. But yeah, those filling stations that were, you know, where they get their air, it says that they're the primary venue for social conversation. So like you said, it is like a, this is a a social world where these like automatons are. Yeah. And the first several pages of this story are basically used to describe that whole process of what air is to them, what it's for, and the social processes and norms of refilling them well it seems like they all have like there's been these rumors going around about kind of just how they function and what this gold tape is and ribbon tape i i yeah i i took it as like scraps of confetti almost in in, is the way i pictured it you know like gold gold confetti yeah so i think they're essentially trying to learn about themselves and how the this gold tape could relate to memory. Yeah, like us, like humans, these beings have a fascination with how their bodies work and how their brains work, and they don't fully understand memory, much like we don't fully understand memory and our brains and how everything up there exactly works. We obviously understand a great deal about our anatomy and and the things going on upstairs, but you get the sense that this character specifically is some sort of scientist that is pursuing to discover more about their brains and specifically as is related to memory. Right. So what we get is the main character trying to figure this out and performing this surgery on himself. Right. Yeah. Exploratory surgery. Right. Uh, of his own brain, which is pretty wild. And I thought like a really crazy image that yeah, I just had that image in my head for a while of someone working on the back of their head. Right. Cause as I understood it, he basically 
fixed up almost like a periscope yep. that loops from his eyes up over the top of his head so that he could essentially poke around in there and still see it without moving his head and still see everything. Right? Yeah, and the, yeah, and the way that it describes the machinery and everything, I was just thinking how the this character is in wonder of its own mechanical features and how we can just perfectly relate that to our own brains and how we keep finding out more and how I just always found it interesting in school and how they would relate these. They would give cells and all these things functions and to help us understand how they work. Right. And, uh, and different parts of cells and our, our brains and everything. And so I was like, man, this is like a, this is like a sci-fi magic school bus episode right, <laughs> right here of like exploring the back of this robot's brain. <laughs> so yeah, magic school bus for adults here. Right. The metaphors here, I think were poignant and had me thinking about the ways in which um, our bodies function. I agree. How, um, when you picture these sentient robots, what, what do they look like to you? Because I have a very specific picture in my head. <laughs> Are they Tim 21s? They're not Tim 21s. <laughs> it's a descender reference for any any of those people who've skipped episodes or had you not pictured anything. I don't I think I've just pictured the like the back of the like the, you know, taking off the back of their heads and seeing the inside, but I'm not sure I pictured them from the front. But what do you picture? Did you ever play Super Smash Brothers? Any of the more recent yes. Super Smash Brothers? You know the character Rob? <laughs> It's kind of a Wally vacuum. Right. Very boxy. Mm-hmm. That's what I pictured. Wow. Mine was more human than that, I Got think. Got it. Like a humanoid kind of yeah, like, android kind of thing. Yeah. I felt like they, they were more fluid in their movement. So maybe I did picture them. I also kind of picture, what is the robot's name from Power Rangers that helps Zordon? <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Alpha 5 from... Power Rangers. Wow. <laughs> That's amazing. I went very sci-fi. He almost looks like Black Manta from Aquaman. You keep going. Black Manta's You're... not a robot. But yeah, I'm hitting all the, I'm hitting all the references, baby. <laughs> also, E.T., not a robot, but it has a similar shaped head. Yes. What's your favorite robot? Um, I mean, yours has to be R2-D2. Or... I do love R2-D2. When I was younger... In Dragon Ball Z, there were the androids, and mm-hmm. I thought Android 18 was really hot, because mm. she's this like hot blonde that could also fight nice. with all the things, so she comes to mind. <laughs> the Iron Giant, is that? Iron Giant's a great robot. That's a good answer. I'll take it then. <laughs> I'll use it. <laughs> I'll take it. <laughs> Listeners, what about you? What's your favorite robot? Three questions You're going to have to answer everything today, folks. <laughs> So famous robots aside, this story as it progresses and our main character continues his experiment, his self-dissection, mm-hmm. his exploratory surgery. <laughs> uh, auto-dissection. Auto-dissection, thank you. Very robotic. <laughs> he makes some discoveries that are huge in terms of uh, the fate of his people, right, or, the, or, or of his society right. based on their anatomy. Mm-hmm. So, I, yeah, I don't think I want to get too much further into detail or what actually happens, but mainly just talk about what we like about it and some things we took for, from it without spoiling things, I guess. And I talked about it a little bit, but I really love how he sets up in a short amount of time, sets up this world that is familiar enough 
for us to recognize, you know, what's yeah similar to ourselves and keep connecting us to this character in a way, even though it's a, a robot and all of this mechanical language. But a lot of the processes of life are similar. And I think mainly what I like is just it encourages us to reflect on our our personal effects on the world yeah our personal effects on the world are like our or just humankind's effects on the planet and then ultimately i guess the conclusion that it comes to is kind of like a a call to action from from this robot to ourselves which i found was just super interesting because of how it sets up this robot in the world discovering something they kind of change this entire worldview. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. I think beyond just its relationship to our own, I think it offered, like, like here, the, the narrator provides us with a slender hope is what he calls it at the end and what opportunities might be outside of our own universe. And I think what the short story form is meant to do is, like, give us a concentrated form of an idea from an angle that maybe we haven't looked at before. And so a lot of these devices and the way that this universe works is just a way for us to reflect on our ourselves is what I think is, is cool. I think it's super effective because for one, I think his writing is very crisp, precise, and scientific, but there's also quite a few like poetic elements that really draws me in in the midst of the kind of more cold sci-fi and this is a pretty hopeful story, I think, by the end. Yeah, I think in general his stories lean that direction. There's a particular passage towards the end that I hope isn't too spoilery. I'll yeah. read it and, and let me know. Yeah. That I think speaks to what you're saying about the poetry that he at times really leans into. It also connects to the ideas of memory that we've discussed. Uh, he writes, Through the act of reading my words... The patterns that form your thoughts become an imitation of the patterns that once formed mine. And in that way, I live again through you. It goes on, but I think just that little nugget of any time that we think of a loved one even, you know, or, or like anytime you think about someone, they are, they take on another form of existence. And that is a lofty idea that is very quickly and shortly and sweetly, succinctly summarized yeah. in, in that one little short passage that I even shortened further from what was actually <laughs> right. Written. Like, I think even the way the narrator refers to us readers as explorers is a fun, like, yeah, a finally, that's cool. Right. It's, it's a positive, hopeful. <laughs> I've never explored hopeful anything. Thing, yeah, Cause you have to have, I feel like you have to have some sort of hope to keep exploring and I thought that was nice. It almost reminds me of like Stan Lee who would refer to his readers as true believers. <laughs> and it's true. Like the uh, the way it brands us, the reader, as... We have the same sort of mission as them. I don't know. It's, right. It's it cool. imbues us with, with this, uh, with these kind of goals that I, I don't know that I necessarily realized I had, but it's like, yeah, I want to... I want to travel the world. I'm an adventurer. Like it, it, it makes you feel like you're part of the story, even though you're just a passive witness, right? For sure. I just find it interesting. I think the the robot here, kind of later on, refers to itself as a pattern, 
And I'll just read this and you can cut it if you'd like. But it says, It cheers me to imagine that the air that once powered me could power others. To believe that the breath that enables me to engrave the words could one day flow through someone else's body. I do not delude myself into thinking that this would be a way for me to live again, because I am not that air. I am the pattern that it assumed, temporarily. The pattern that is me, the patterns that are the entire world in which I live, would be gone. Just the, him talking about the, him, he assumed this pattern temporarily. I don't know, it's, it's so interesting, because like, he's hopefully saying all this all these things, and I think the the attitude of the the narrator while talking about kind of like that transfer of energy or air or whatever it is to these particular people is just really beautiful. I don't know. Yeah, I think when you think about consciousness and what that is within us, right? I mean, it is we are really just kind of a pattern of thoughts and feelings and synapses firing, and you know, like. Mm-hmm. Everything in the world, you know, if you go down to the uh, the atomic level, is it's just patterns of protons and electrons, and you know, like it's it's just there is something so universal about that thought that is really relatable, and it's just it's funny how like he starts out by saying it cheers me to imagine that the air that once powered me could power others, and it's just a very uh, optimistic. Right. thought and are kind of a beautiful transfer there. I don't know. Also makes me think all the way back to episode one of Happy Tears when we talked about cycles <laughs> and the kind of cycles of life of, you know, our planet. Not to right. just make every point he makes relatable, but when we die, our bodies go into the ground to feed the plants mm-hmm. and the circle of life continues and those plants get eaten. And, you know, so the fact that a humanoid robot... <laughs> can feel as human as maybe we should from time to time because we often, I think we often feel so disconnected and so isolated from one another, especially when we're staring into our phones all day or on our computers using our devices. The fact that this computer can feel so hopeful is encouraging to me that (laughs) that maybe I could feel more like that a little more often if I just stop and smell the roses. Stop and smell the robotic roses <laughs> yeah yeah the way he i think uh placed that that process in this in this story is pretty remarkable yeah i really i love this one as well it's quite different from the first ones but has these you know big kind of topics that it's exploring so for sure happy tears for me there are these so yeah happy tears so i think the only real happy tears i got We're right at the end of the first one, Mm -hmm. the merchant and the alchemist gate. You know, we've heard at this point in the story towards the end, we've heard three separate stories about people time traveling. And then our main character goes on his own journey. Mm -hmm. I think the simplest way I can say it is he finds something he didn't expect when he travels back in time, but Mm -hmm. it's exactly what he needed. Yeah. And that was very moving to me. Yeah, I, I think both the ending of the first and the second story, like the when it kind of switches um, the tone and, and goes from being descriptive into this kind of uh, talking directly to the reader or, or wh- whoever is reading this later on. I think, yeah, the whole passage, I think, is really, really beautiful. And I thought about it um, for a while and getting too specific about it again would bring up some spoilers. And I want everyone to experience that uh, part for themselves. But yeah. The ending of that second one, I, you know, I heard it like 
one thirty in the morning while I was driving. <laughs> so I don't think I put myself in a situation to succeed. No. Because that is a... You weren't set up for success there, boy. I wasn't, because that's a true happy tearjerker. But uh, it didn't shake anything loose, so... Well, first we don't succeed. <laughs> <laughs> Get drunk and read again. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Happy Tears. Happy Tears is produced by Nick Melita and Brandon Henry. You can find more information as well as today's show notes at happytearspod.com. You can also find us on Instagram at Happy Tears Podcast. Nick is at Melitagram and Brandon is at Mr. Brandon Henry. We also have a brand new Facebook page that you can like and uh, follow us there. And we're always looking for feedback from the listeners like Connor Key. Connor, how can listeners answer our questions or give us suggestions and things to you know cover and stuff? Yeah, dude, super simple. You could go to your homepage and click on the voicemail link at happytearspod.com. Nailed it. Simple as that. Or you can creep pretty hard on Instagram and you guys usually respond on there too. Original music by Homage. You can find more of his music at youtube.com slash homage beats. We also have a pretty rad Spotify playlist titled Happy Tears Mixtape, where we put a lot of the songs that we talk about and cover on the pod. And please, if you could rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Connor, have you done that? <laughs> no. <laughs> well, now's an opportunity for you to go and pull up your podcast app and hit that five stars, homie. <laughs> I'm on 4%. You got a charger? <laughs> oh, oh, you could totally God. do it on 4%. <laughs> As Connor does that live on mic, <laughs> I'll use this time to urge you to go on Apple Podcasts and rate and review us. It super helps us out. In what way, Brandon? <laughs> In a super helpful way. You can also follow us on Spotify if you listen to podcasts via that medium. And that is all for this episode of Happy Tears. For myself, I'm Nick, my friend Brandon, and our friend Connor, we'd like to say... Farewell!